0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasnyansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: We are on letter number 27. This is one of the earlier letters. The letters are not in sequence because this letter was written on the passing of Rabbi Mendel Vitebsk um, in 1788. Some of the second letter we learned was the second letter in the series. Letter number two was written after the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. Today is, is uh, today was Chav Kislev, the day of liberation of the Alter Rebbe in 17, uh, 1798. And right after that he wrote the letter. So this, and this letter is written in
2: 1788,
1: um, ten years before that. So the letters are not written in order. It's letters. It's a different letters compiled together. And uh, this is a very uh, fundamental letter. You know, Yurt is around the corner and it really explains the whole idea of how we deal with the passing, with the tragic passing of a tzaddik, of a leader in the community, uh, you know, it was like a father figure, and it was like a spiritual father to his chasidim. And you know, when a father passes, a parent passes, it's, it's 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 like a crack in the foundation. It's 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 not just it's your foundation. And uh, how how do you deal with it? How do you stand up and and um, go forward and be strengthened, you know, instead of being demoralized and shattered and broken. Um, Al-Tarebi wrote this letter to himself, because he himself was a chassid of Rabbi Benachem Mendel of Vitebsk, to his chassidim, he was living in the land of Israel, the first aliyah, the first group that made aliyah to Israel, is 100 years before Theodor Herzl was a chassidim leaders of the Hasidic movement, the Baal himself tried to go to Israel and they stopped him from heaven and then Rabbi Nacho Mendel with a whole group, including the Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe himself, the author of the Tanya, packed his bags, he's going with his Rebbe. He was young at the time, 1777, Alter Rebbe was born in 17, uh, 1745, so, you know, he was 32 years old, his Rebbe is going to Israel, he's going with his Rebbe. He said goodbye, he took his family, packed his bags, and reached the border, the Russian-Turkish border, until his Rebbe convinced him to go back and to lead the Hasidic community against this onslaught of negativity and opposition, and, and they needed someone in the caliber of the Alter Rebbe who can stand up to the Lithuanian, the Mitnagdim, you know, the bastions of scholarship, the Alter Rebbe was scholar par excellence and, and they convinced him to go back. So he wrote to the Hasidim in Israel and to the Hasidim of, in Russia to come to them.
2: The Alter Rebbe is here addressing Hasidim who in the past had benefited from their connection with the tzaddik, both through his advice and blessings on material matters and through his guidance in matters of the spirit. He comforts them, therefore, with the teaching of the Zohar that Sadek is to be found in this world after his passing to a greater extent than while he was physically alive. His disciples are thus able to receive his guidance in the, in the Torah study and divine service to an even greater degree than before. Materially, too, that Sadek protects this world after his passing even more effectively than he did during his lifetime. This letter was written by the altar rebbe to the Hasidic inhabitants of the Holy Land. May it be speedily be re- rebuilt and reestablished in our own days. Amen.
1: So even though at the end of the letter, the letter that's not published, because this, this, I mean, not here. Here they just took the gist, the essence of the letter. But the the end of the letter is a call for action that the Hasidim should continue their support of the rebbe's family. Because the thought was, listen, the Rebbe died; it's all over, and let's close up shop. And uh, and uh, the Rebbe is trying to explain to them that's not the right way to look at it. Uh, the Rebbe is alive, and we have whatever we did while he was alive, we have to continue. And we have a responsibility to take care of his family. So obviously, he was addressing his letter to the Jews living in Russia, asking them to continue to support the Rebbe's family, who were living in Tiberias in Israel. But nevertheless. In the introduction it says that this is a letter that he wrote to the Hasidim, the community in Israel. And they're both correct. Because this letter that the Rebbe wrote to both. He sent this letter to the community, first and foremost, to those, the community was living with the Rebbe day in, day out. And then he wrote the letter and added the other part to the Hasidim living in Russia that they should continue their support and if anything they should even increase their support. And that's the, uh, so, so it's both correct.
2: To console him with his double support, over the passing of the celebrated rabbi and Ga- Gaon, holy man of God, lamp of Israel, pillar of the right hand, mighty hammer, our mentor, our rabbi Menachem Mendel, may his soul rest in Ga- Gaon My beloved brethren and friends who are as, dear, and so forth to me as my soul. Everything is,
1: he's referring to, you know the soul is five different levels. There's different levels of endearment, different levels of relationship. Um, It says in the Medrash that the Jewish people are sometimes called my beloved um which refers to like a parent referring to the, his daughter my daughter my brethren is like my sister that we're equals and my dear one it's like a it's like a, my mother to, to you know different levels of love my soul you have the nefesh, you have the ruach, you have the neshama, and then the b'chaya, the life, my soul, and then the etc., refers to the fifth level. Okay, this is just uh, uh, hinting.
2: Okay. May the name of Hashem be upon you, and may you live forever. According to the above interpretation of the chagah, the Alter Rebbe's blessing that the name of Hashem be upon you is intended to elicit a transcendental mode of divine benevolence. While the blessing, may you live forever, is intended to draw down the transcendent benevolence so that it can be internalized within a and finite recipient. Or, in the terms of a, hasid, a hasidot, it is intended to be makif into Panimi And yes. your children with you, the seed of truth. May you be blessed by Hashem forevermore, having first duly inquired after the welfare of those who love Hashem's name. I have come to speak to the heart of the smitten, who are sighing and groaning over the passing of Rabbi Mendel, and to console you with redoubled support, with that with what my ear has heard from others, and with that I, and what I have heard, understood myself.
1: So this letter is based on what he was taught by his rabbis, and what the Alter Rebbe understood himself, and how he explained it to himself, and he elaborates on that that he was taught. And the whole foundation of this letter is based... Regarding the idiom
0: used by our sages to signify the passing of a tzaddik, he has left life for all the living.
1: So this is an expression that we find in the responsa of the, uh, the early rabbis, the Rishonim. This is not a language that's found in the Talmud, per se. But it's a language that we find, Maimonides writes, that in the... Documents that they wrote for Yibum and Chalitza. Yibum and Chalitza is a mitzvah in the Torah. That uh, if a person dies childless, so his wife, his wife, marries the brother-in-law, her husband's brother, so that he should continue the name, the family name, and uh, if he refuses to marry her then he has to give a chalitza he has to take off his shoe and you know she, has, she takes off his shoe and there's a whole, a whole ceremony and you write a document it's like a divorce a document, it's like a divorce you write the shtar chalitza that, that. and over there it starts out that there was we, this individual who Shavak hayim abandoned left life for all the living Literally it means he left the living, he departed. He left the living. But it's a curious choice of words because if you take it literally, Shavak Chayim means he left life to all the living. He's leaving behind life. It's like he's giving life. He left life to all the living. What do you mean? He, He died. He left. He departed. He's not late. He's not coming. And here, shavak chayim l'chow chay, which literally translates that he's leaving us life to all the live. So what does, this, what does this expression mean?
0: If this simply means that others have remained alive after his passing, what are we to make of the expression left life? Did he leave them life? Surely the life they are living is their own. The Older will explain below that the idiom means quite literally that the tzaddik left something of his own of his own life to others for the true core of a tzaddik's life is not fleshy rather it comprises the spiritual qualities of faith awe and love of hashem when a tzaddik departs from this world he leaves over his faith fear and love to all those who are bound to him so that they will be able to receive even more than they receive from him while he lives his physical life together with them all three qualities are alluded to his life in the verses enumerated below
1: in Habakkuk, in the Prophets, it says a tzaddik lives by his faith. So faith is associated with life. Faith is life. If you have faith, you're alive. And we find another verse in Mishli, written by King Solomon.
0: And by the awe of Hashem which leads to
1: life. So again, awe is associated with life. If you have awe of Hashem, then you're alive. You could understand the, the opposite. A person doesn't have faith. A person doesn't have. As It says, even the wicked, even while they're alive, they're dead. The righteous, even when they're dead, they're alive. Because life is not defined by the physical. True life is defined if you're connected to the source of life. Life comes from Hashem. Life comes from within. All the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly life we have no explanation for life life comes from within it's not a mechanical event you can't put together bricks and put together it's like a machine you put together parts you put together parts you won't equal life it's life that comes from within that expresses itself in the body and the physical but everything that's alive it's something intangible it comes from within even a tree a tree is alive there's a life that expresses itself in the tree and the stem and the bark and the branches and the fruits and the twigs. And the, but it, it's alive, and then the tree dies. It's dead. It's just the body. It's nothing. But then you have the life is something that comes from within, and the body is just an expression of it. So life is something intangible. Life is really divine. It really comes from Hashem. It's not a scientific event. It's not a mechanical event. It's not something that we can create. We can't create life. <laughs> we can build machines. But the body is not just a motor that moves. It's not just a, a composite of different parts and pieces. It's not a mechanical a machine that's made up of components. We are alive. And the physical is just an expression, a symptom of that life, inner life. It's a singular singular life force that expresses itself in the, in the multitude of different parts that is the body. in 248 limbs and 365 veins and hundred trillion cells but it's really one life that expresses itself so life is something really divine so if you're plugged into the source of life you're alive if you have faith you're alive you're an awe Hashem you're alive and then he quotes another verse from Shir Hashirim also by uh, the Song of Songs by King Solomon
0: and by the flashing and fiery sparks of his love for Hashem, that is even greater than life.
1: So love, is it's even more than life, it's even greater than life, so love, again, love of Hashem is associated with life. The verse refers to as alive, you know? You look into the eyes of a, a believer, a true believer, a person who has a love for Hashem, a person who has an awe of Hashem, there, there is a life. There's a sparkle. There's a vitality. There's a passion. There's an energy. It's just, a, it's just like a piece of life, a, an essence of life, a very deep, a deep life that's... And versus, unfortunately, look in the eyes today, even, even young kids, you look into the eyes, the sparkle is gone, the innocence is gone, the jaded. It's very surface, skin deep. Having fun, jumping up and down, becoming mindless, but, but there's you know, there's no sense of inner sense of life. You know, we're coming from somewhere, we're going somewhere, there's a sense of connection, a sense of purpose. You know, you know like you're plugged into you're plugged into to eternity, you're plugged into something, to something real. Something that's, you know, that's why the Jewish people are called the eternal people. Not only, because even the life while we're alive, we're plugging into something that's real, something that's eternal, something that's. And you can sense that there's a life, there's a vitality, there's a substance, a depth. You know, there's more to life than not being dead. (laughs) <laughs> it's... it's <Hello>. What? <laughs> they're living corpses. They're, people are walking, they're walking dead. You know, They're living dead. <laughs> live for the moment. That's the matter of life. That's your philosophy. Just live for the moment. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Coming from nowhere. Going nowhere. No point, no purpose. It's instantly forgettable. It's, it, it's meaningless. I'm just a blip. six, seven billion people, well, what's one individual. And you take all the people that ever existed. Well, I'm, 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 I'm insignificant. And look at the world, and look at this, look at the vast universe, where just you can't even find the Earth. If you look at, you look at it from that point of view, you can't even find me so. It, it's all meaningless. It's not, you know you, you become very nihilistic there's no truth, it's all meaningless, all that matters is have fun, be your own God, create your own realities, create your own values, whatever works for you, whatever makes you happy. It's death, it's nihilism, it leads you to a conclusion of absolute meaningless. And that, tragically, is the prevailing philosophy today. This is the zeitgeist of today, absolute nihilism. Not only only there's no belief in truth, there's a belief that there are no truths. Moral relativism, there's no absolutes. There's no such thing as truth. There's nothing to believe in. Not only there's no ideology, there's a belief that that there is nothing to believe in. Nothing matters. The great causes of the day... (laughs) There's nothing. Just live any lifestyle you like and have fun for the moment. And that's the great crusade of the day. There's no nothing. Total emptiness, total meaninglessness, total nihilism. Versus a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of connection. Every individual is a world, is meaningful. Everything that we do is meaningful. Every act and every word that we speak utter and every thought that we have makes a world of difference the whole world hangs in the balance and it's real and we are for real and our lives are for real instead of living for the moment we live in the moment it's a difference it's a a huge difference living in the moment means that every moment is an eternal moment I'm drinking a cup of water on a Wednesday afternoon and no I stop I make a bracha. I turn this simple act, it's not just I have to survive, I need to drink. It becomes an eternal moment. I make a connection with the Emes, with the truth that there's Hashem, Baruch HaTar, Shem, Alekeinu, Melech Olam, Shachol, The divine energy is creating the miracle of this glass of water. You think the splitting of the sea is a miracle, all the miracles is nothing in comparison to the miracle that there is a glass of water, period. The miracle of water, the miracle of life is even possible in this world. The chances of this happening mathematically is basically zilch. Zil. It's, it's, it's not even possible for everything to work out so perfectly to allow for life to exist in this world. So you, you're astounded and astonished by that miracle and you celebrate and you realize how everything is meaningful and everything has a purpose and nothing is... just It's like a universe apart. This is life. This is alive, a person who lives like that with faith and with awe of Hashem and love of Hashem, every moment of life becomes meaningful and sacred and filled with purpose and meaning, life, vitality, passion, joy, versus total nihilism.
3: Why does it have to be either or? Why, how do do you know that person that lives just for the moment and you know, live today because tomorrow might be? I may not be here, so let's do fun things. How do you know that person doesn't have a deeper meaning, that they don't feel like whatever they're doing at that happiness at the moment means a lot more to them. Yes, they're happy, they're getting gratification from it, and it looks like instant gratification, but how do you know that that person doesn't feel that way? Why is it black or white?
1: Well, well, you know, uh, we live in a world where... It's, it's like a constant, constant distraction, you know. It's like constant vacation from reality. You know, 500 channels and nothing to watch. <laughs> constant, constant escapism. You know, it's a certain mindlessness that... You know, I don't want to think about anything real or serious or connect with something, plug in with something. It's like I would rather put myself to sleep and in your sleep you can have a very interesting sleep, by the way. You can have very interesting dreams. In the sleep, you could be a senator, you could be a billionaire, and you can you can be famous, and you can have money, power, fame, indulgence. But it's it's an, it's a it's a dream. It's nothing. One moment of wakefulness is more meaningful, more satisfying than all the dreams in the world. Judaism is about what's the first thing a Jew does in the morning? What? No. You wake up. (laughs) 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 The same with Ali, you got to wake up. That is Judaism. Judaism is we can go to sleep. We can distract ourselves. Constant distraction, constant vacation from reality, constant entertainment. Or wake yourself up. And you know, sometimes you don't want to wake up. It's a deep sleep. You're under the covers. It's so delicious. It's so comfortable. (laughs) You have to pull yourself together. But once you pull yourself together, one moment of wakefulness is more deeply satisfying because it's real. Judaism is about waking up. The Torah takes us and, and focuses us on the, on, the, on, the, on the moment. You're drinking water. Stop. Don't, don't just, nothing in life should just be automatic and mechanical and without thought, without consciousness, without what's going on. Stop. Make this into a meaningful, a meaningful experience, event everything in our life. The holidays focus on the seasons. Chag HaAsif and the Chag this. Live in the moment. Live live and celebrate and appreciate the miracle and be astonished, be astounded, be inspired. Respond to what's going on versus tuning out and just, you know. So we can live very superficially. Like in a dream state. Not in a a positive way, but in a dream state. In a mindless state. And that's constant mindlessness. What's fun? Everything today fun is associated with mindlessness. That's not true. No, I'm saying the, the, you know, people drink and people take drugs. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, for
3: instance, I can go in the park and just walk for hours and admire and just look up and see... The different trees now. There's nothing there, but it makes a beautiful shape, you know, and this and that. And I'm actually having fun. Oh
2: there yeah was a creator that's behind that. No, I understand. But
1: so that—that no, that that sounds that like a meaningful not thing. That sounds mindless like a fun. right, right. No, that sounds but like a if a
3: you're saying the right. mindlessness comes in when we're in front of our TV and our computer and doing like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, So, exactly, am yeah. I living that type of life? It sounds th- like
1: it. Sounds like it. You, know, you, you just remind you of. The, the husband tells his wife, he says, just do me one favor. Don't ever allow me to become a vegetable, to live in a vegetative state where, you know, if you have to, just pull the plug. She immediately goes, she unplugs his iPad and <laughs> <laughs> his TV. What were you gonna say I
4: was just gonna say that this mindless state of escaping from meaning, from anxiety, this distraction, could be meaningless fun, could also be work. Working, working, working Uh, could also be a way to escape. escape
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. A workaholic is a way of escaping. You know, it's very interesting. They once did a, uh, they tried this experiment. They took CEOs from the top 500 companies. And they isolated them for like three days. No phones, unplugged, no phones, nothing. I don't know if it's the second day, I don't know if they lasted through the second day. <laughs> they were like climbing the walls. Because once you stripped away, there was nobody home. There was nothing there. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't sit still for a moment. There was nothing inside. You know, a Jew, you unplug him for Shabbat. He comes alive, unplugged, 24 hours unplugged, nothing a Jew comes alive. And sometimes we have a holiday, a Chag that comes right after, sometimes we have three days in a row, 72 hours of unplugged. And a Jew is alive, he loves it. Because it doesn't define us. Our careers, our work, doesn't define us. It's what we do, but it's not who we are. So we have an inner life. It's the love and the uh, the faith of Hashem and the love of Hashem and the awe of Hashem. This is what nourishes us. This is what nurtures us. This is what grounds us. This is our foundation. So even if you unplug and you take everything away from us, anything external, we're so alive. We're so vibrant. We have a foundation. But if your whole foundation is ego, you take away that prop. You know, during the Depression, people uh, people were jumping out the window. Well, life was over.
3: They still yeah. are. The college students are jumping out the limit these days.
1: That's, yeah, that's, that's tragic. But Jews, we had a lot worse than the Depression. You know, it reminds me, uh, someone was saying, he, was a, he had a cart. That's how he made a living. He had this, a pedal cart. He said, I lost everything in the Depression. You lost everything in depression. You had nothing. All you had was your pedal card. What do you mean you lost everything in depression? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the banker jumped out the window and he landed on my pedal. He said, lost everything. But uh, we, had, we, we feared a lot worse than depression. We had a Holocaust. And nothing crushed us. No matter what happened to us. Because we have an inner... Our confidence, self-confidence, doesn't come from ego. It comes from something much deeper. it Comes from our relationship with Hashem, the faith in Hashem, our love for Hashem, the orbit. No one can take that away from us. Hitler can't touch that. No one, no matter what happens to us, we have such a vibrant, solid inner compass and core. And this is life. That's the real sign of life. Even when everything external is taken away, life comes from within and that's eternal, that's a lie. that's real life. So the life of a tzaddik, it's not the eating and the drinking and taking care of his needs, which is important, but there's an inner life. There's a, a content, there's a, there's a center, there's a, there's a reality, a substance, you know, this is alive, this is a person who's alive. And you can have a person who's just the shell you know, they said that at someone's funeral that he was like 70 years old, someone said he really died when he was 30. They buried him at 70. You know, sometimes people are just shells. They're walking around and they're active and they're doing, but the inside no, there's no life. There's no real, real life. So it's really something much deeper. So if it's all about ego, then it could be a, a distraction. And a cover, like you say, workaholic, and work could be just the ultimate distraction. Just, but how many people can just sit silently, and pray? Just be silent and pray and connect, and you know that's a. That's what separates the men from the boys. You can see who has an, a real, rich inner life. There's something going on inside. Versus not. It could be bubbly on the surface. But there's nothing going on. There's nothing there. It's not sustainable. It's not. So the tzaddik is truly alive. He's alive. He's a, a person who's alive. He's not saying he's saintly and otherworldly and angelic. No. He is the ultimate human being. He is alive. He is living. He's truly living each and every moment. He's living. He's alive. You know, the Rebbe never went on vacation in his life. The Rebbe, the Rebbe never went on vacation one day of his life. Could you imagine that type of life? A person who doesn't need a vacation, because he he, he he's so alive every moment. He doesn't need to escape. He doesn't need vacation. He doesn't need distraction. He's just every moment is so it energizes him and he's so alive and inspired that he's happy where he is right now what he's doing this moment and, and he has everything that he needs he doesn't need to run to. I mean it's, 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 it's amazing you know we, we need constant distractions <laughs> constant distractions but to be so alive you know there's certain things that we do every moment of our life and we never take a vacation. For example, breathing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we breathe every moment. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> we, we don't want to stop breathing for a second, God forbid. We never get bored. How much can you breathe already? A genukshan? You do <laughs> for years, for decades, stop already. No. We want to 180. But it doesn't bore us for a second. Core things don't bore us. It's it, you're alive. It's real. It's the most exciting thing in the world to breathe every moment. <laughs> you don't need you don't need. So could you imagine you live a life like that? that? Spiritually speaking, that you're so in tune and so plugged in and so connected and so real. You're so awake. You don't I
5: have a question and some of the enlightened people, like the Ari, for example, or others, who were living partly an ascetic lifestyle. So um, on the one hand, the philosophy of escapism is harmful, but on the other hand, they were ascetics, which which is typically not what in the Jewish religion is, um, I, I guess, not, not recommended, but uh, traditionally accepted. Like usually men are married, and they have families, some of them were married, but yet they would spend most of the time alone. And then even when they returned home for Shabbat, they were silent most of the time because they were so connected, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm not sure why. Can
1: you really explain? Well, it's interesting. The Ari was called Ari Achai. That's his nickname, the Ari Achai. Even though he passed away 500 years ago, he's so alive that that becomes his name. The Ari Achai, Rabbi Isaac Luria. Asceticism could be escapism. But in this case, it's not escapism. You know, the Ari you know, the and the tzaddikim, you know, it says when Mashiach will come, there'll be such an abundance of materialism, but it won't have any value. It, it won't mean anything. No one will even pay attention. You'll have everything you need and everything you want, and there'll be enough abundance, material abundance for all 7 billion people, and, but it won't have any value. The only thing that will have value is knowledge, information, spirituality. So, you know, it's not that they, it was like a project to escape and to run away. It was, it really, the material world didn't really, you know, they didn't have any much value. They did what they had to to survive you have to eat and you have to take care of your bodily needs and yeah uh, you have to but that wasn't the main thing for them the material was just a means to an end you know they came alive in their Torah study in their prayer in the their faith of Hashem the relationship with Hashem that's what they lived for that's what defined them that was what their life was about and they were totally focused like a laser they were focused on the things that mattered and um, so material things didn't really engage them too much. Didn't really hold off. They took care of it, and but it wasn't it wasn't the main thing. It wasn't.
5: It's not, it's not just material. It's also being a husband, being a father, being an uncle, uh, being a family member, a brother, whatever it may be. I'm
1: sure. I'm sure the Ariza was the most. I'm sure the Ariza was the most loving husband in the world, and uh, all the rabbis. And uh, asceticism doesn't mean asceticism from people no but I'm sure he was the most loving husband and uh, she felt that love I'm sure and if, you, if you asked, uh, I'm sure she wasn't uh, she was a very happy happily married to be married to her husband the Arizon I can guarantee you that <laughs> uh, She was the happiest woman in the world trust me <laughs> having such a husband she really knew the meaning of love real love probably like uh, we may never know um, you know, look at the love between Avram and Sarah, and Yitzchak and Rivka. Torah says they laugh They, you know, they. that's asceticism doesn't mean distancing from people. No, that's not asceticism. Asceticism from material. They couldn't care less about material things. I mean, the rabbi hardly ate. The rabbi fasted every almost every Monday and Thursday, and he constantly fasting and. He didn't care. These things didn't mean much to him. Not he had no time. He didn't, didn't play a big role. You know, he, he did what he had to to survive and to live. But, but that wasn't the main thing. You know, the main thing was his relationship with Hashem, and that's where he came alive. But love, they were the most loving people.
4: Not, not to compare, it's my personal um, interest or projection. But you can look at the, not to compare, at the founding uh, fathers and mothers of Israel. And they lived a more less materialistic life. But it was full of meaning for them to uh, resurrect uh, Israel.
1: They had an ideology. Yeah,
4: ideology, meaning they they didn't need the external. Fast forward um, 70 years, uh, it's a bit different. I see a reflection of some of the principles that you're
1: that's it, that's teaching. That's true. It's a good point.
2: Certain years. Good point. Certain years in time, because he's referring to the, to the early generations, the, the biblical people. So are there certain years in time when God makes this more available than.
1: Well, well uh, as Rand is saying, in the general, the world used to be a lot more ideological, period. <laughs> People used to live lived for an ideology, a purpose, you know, people, this one was a communist, this one was a socialist, and this one believed in this, and this one believed in that, and people, the whole world in general, was very big into ideology. To be a, a, a person worth his salt, you had to believe in something. Today, the world has become very coarse and very crass. Ideology is dead. Nobody believes in anything. They believe there's nothing to believe in. It's worse than that. They believe that there's nothing really to believe in. There are no truths, just live for the moment, have fun, doesn't matter, whatever makes you happy. A complete mindlessness, complete nihilism. You know, it's, it's the antithesis of ideology. You know, the Jews are the last idealists left in the world. And that's why there's such a focus against Israel. Because for the anti-idealists, and that's the zeitgeist in universities today, they have to tear down the last true believers. (laughs) The Jews are the last true believers. We believe in an absolute God. How quaint and ancient is that? We believe in an absolute truth. We believe in Israel, the holiness of Israel. No, that has to go. Why do you think they made it their project? The elite of the world made it their project that Israel must be divided. We have to create a two-state solution. We have to... We have to get the Jew to abandon his Torah. Stop with this ideology. Stop with this. Forget about this absolutes. There is no absolute truth. So if we can get the Jew to admit that there's no absolutes, that the Torah says Israel belongs to the Jews, well, don't take it literally. It doesn't mean literally. There's going to be two states. We're going to divide Israel in half. That's why it's it's. This is the number one global project. At the expense of everything else, they spend $100 billion, presidents, prime ministers, put their reputation on the line just to get the Jew to give up his ideology. Stop being so stubborn already. Stop being these ancient, archaic relics of the past. You believe in absolute God, and absolute truth, in the holiness of the Jew, the holiness of Israel, the holiness of God, the holiness of his Torah. That's really what this battle is all about. It's Amalek, the moral relativist, versus the Jew. Absolute good versus absolute evil. Absolute evil always finds absolute good. That's why they always zero in on the Jew. It always comes to the Jew. It always comes back to Israel. No matter what's going on in the world, the UN, most of the resolutions, it all comes back to Israel. Everything has to do with Israel. What's, what's because, because it's an ideological clash between absolute nihilism, moral relativism, Nietzscheism, which is really absolute evil, versus absolute goodness, absolute truth, as embodied and represented by the Jewish people. The last true believers in the world. But if you notice, their efforts have failed. The whole world was against Israel in 1948, Uh, Czechoslovakia was the only one who sold them uh, some bullets, some arms. No one, even though they voted in the UN, no one would help Israel. It was attacked from all fronts. And Hashem wanted it to happen, and it happened. Miracle of miracles. They've been working on Oslo already for over 20 years. Spent over $100 billion, conferences, summits, we lost count already, presidencies, Nobel Prizes. It's not happening (laughs) and it never will happen. Not in God's lifetime There never was a Palestinian state There never will be. Israel, the whole of Israel belongs to the Jewish people forever and ever Is given to us by the God of the creator of the universe who wrote in his Torah and in the blueprint for all reality and the world's bestseller and the Bible 38 that Israel belongs to the Jewish people. It's my land and I'm giving this land to my holy people and my chosen people. Period. And you can take that to the bank. But it's a clash of ideology. We have to realize what's going on here. It's not just simple. uh, Why is it so important to them? We have to tear the Jews down. Hitler was all about the Jew. World War II was all about the Jew. It wasn't the war. The war was a means to the end. The end was to conquer the world in order to destroy the world. If Hitler had one train... To send, he had a choice, to send it to the front lines because the troops desperately needed reinforcements, or to use that train to send Jews to Auschwitz. Who do you think got that train? The Jews. The war was just a means. The whole purpose was to destroy the Jew.
6: Jews and morality.
1: Because the Jew represents morality, the Jew represents that there's an absolute God, that there's an absolute truth, and the Nazi ideology, and the Nietzsche ideology, and the moral relativist ideology that might makes right, and this world is just the jungle and survival of the fittest. Hitler said, there's one Jewish baby left alive. It's all over for us. We're doomed. We have no future. Because this Jewish baby represents truth and godliness, and it's giving us all a guilty conscience, so we have to get rid of the, get rid of the truth. So this is life, if you're connected to the source of life, you're plugged into the source of life, you're alive. It's very deep, it's a very deep... uh, and the tzaddik lives it, the tzaddik breathes it, the tzaddik's life is all about his relationship with Hashem, his love for Hashem, his awe of Hashem, his faith in Hashem, his deep-rooted faith in truth and reality, the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth, and he lives that reality, he breathes that reality, he's alive, this is real. What happened to Hitler's thousand-year Reich? Thank God, it lasted too long. But a thousand-year life lasted to twelve years, thirteen years. Oh, gone forever. The Jewish people never left the front pages of history. Thirty-eight hundred years later, we're going strong. We're stronger than ever. This is real. This is reality. This is life. But it, it's something that comes from within. It's not ego. Nothing external. It's not money, it's not power, it's not fame, it's not wealth, not indulgence, it's a relationship with Hashem.
6: Interesting in them, in his faith and awe and love, the life of his Ruach throughout his life. As the Alter Rebbe will soon say, disciples receive their influence from the soul level of the Tzad, which is called Ruach. In addition, as explained in Lukutai Haggahot, those disciples were also, as close as children, received their influence from the higher soul level called neshama. When, at the time of his passing, Hashem elevates his ruach and gathers up the soul onto himself, as he ascends from, the ele- from one elevation to the next, to the very highest levels, he then leaves over the life of his ruach, the deeds in which he has formerly labored with Israel, i.e. the faith, fear, and love which he drew down to them from his ruach. On a less literal level, the Hebrew word l'famim, here translated formally, can also be understood to mean the inwardness, i.e., the tzaddik infused and integrated this faith, fear, and love into the innermost core of the disciples. This being the labor of the tzaddik for life, or less literally, the tzaddik's labor for the living to provide them with life. At any rate, at the time of his passing, the tzaddik bequeaths the fruit of his lifelong labors.
1: The tzaddik, the leader, the leader worked all of his life to lead, to teach, to inspire his disciples, to inspire the Jewish people. So his spirit, he he inspired the people with his life, with his spirit, with his vitality. You know, the reason why we have a relationship with a Rebbe, a Rebbe is more than just a teacher a brilliant teacher, a small, wise teacher. A Rebbe, it's almost like a father figure. There, there, there's, there's a relationship between the chassid and the Rebbe. The love relationship. Because what the Rebbe embodies for us is, not only his brilliance and his insights, but the Rebbe embodies for us that his Yiddishkeit, that he has a relationship with Hashem. His Yiddishkeit is alive. He has a love relationship with Hashem. He inspires his students, his disciples, and teaches them, and teaches them by example that Judaism is not just rules and laws and dos and don'ts and rituals and customs and symbols. Judaism is alive. We have a marriage, a love relationship with Hashem, and that's why we're doing the mitzvah, to express our love and our relationship and our connection and strengthen our connection. We don't want to do anything to harm that connection. So we don't do an Avera. So the tzaddik is so alive. And he embodies this. And he inspires his students and his chassidim and his disciples. He ignites that relationship within them with Hashem. So that spirit that he leaves in his students, that remains. That spirit stays with us. Yes, physically he's gone. Physically he died. We can no longer see him. But his his spirit, that life that he left us, that life remains. That inspiration and that life, that life remains. Everything that he accomplished in his lifetime, the labor of the living, that he gave us his life, He inspired us to live the type of life that he was living, to be truly alive in a spiritual sense. Not just to do the Torah mechanically by rote, you know, just go through the motions. But he turned us into becoming live Jews, passionate Jews, joyful Jews. Our Judaism taught us that our Judaism should be joyful and loving and passionate and real. So that remains with us. That doesn't go anywhere that doesn't die God is here our relationship with God is here the Torah is alive our relationship is alive so that's what he says literally he leaves his life with the living he leaves us with that life with his life that was, his life wasn't the body, the physical his life was the spiritual that life he leaves with us. doesn't depart body the parts, body is buried, but the life, the love and the awe and the faith and the the connection, that's more alive than ever.
6: Every living being, that is to the soul of every living being who lives a life of Torah and its devot, who is bound to his soul by the thick ropes of a magnanimous love and an eternal love that will not be moved forever.
1: You know, like every relationship, it's all based on love. Love is the conduit. They have a spiritual connection. Love is the conduit. So the Rebbe and the Chassid—it's a love relationship. It's—it's it's personal. It's not just a brilliant teacher, and you know that you can get also from from books, or but it's a personal relationship. It's—it's—you it's, know—he's like my spiritual father. There's a love, and that's what connects souls to each other marriage really is also is two souls coming together so the love is the relationship is what cements and connects you know love is the spiritual connector love is egolessness that's where real love comes from not a childish type of love or an infantile uh, Type of love, what a genuine love is really—you forget about yourself and you love the other person. It's a sense of egolessness. You know, when people fall in love the first time, you know, the the barriers fall down and they madly in love and they really forget about themselves. They're really focusing on the other person. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. But the but the real love in order for love to last, it's based on a certain egolessness. You know, it's a soul thing, it's a soul connection. If it's just based on the body, you know, what are you doing for me lately, and uh, what can I get from you, and what can I take from you, and what can I... That doesn't last. You know, you can't have two bodies in the same place. They ultimately clash. And they fall out of love very easily. But genuine love—to have two souls together, husband and wife become one and become one. You can't have two bodies, physical bodies, together. It's it's two souls coming together. But you have to be soulful. The more egoless you are, you know, love in Hebrew, ava, comes from the root have, to give, giving giving and taking care of the other person so real love is really an expression of a soul it's the spiritual bond that connects and merges and cements the relationship so you're talking about a soul connection the tzaddik passed away your leader passed away but if you had that soul connection yeah, there was the love between the two of you. And it's mutual. The Hasidim loved the Rebbe like a father and the, the Rebbe loves the Hasidim like his child. The Rebbe's love to the Hasidim is much greater probably than the uh, Hasid's love to the Rebbe. You know, our love that we show to the Rebbe is just a pale reflection of the Rebbe's love for us. You know, the, 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 the Rebbe used to stand for hours, till 89, till he had the stroke. Sunday, giving out dollars. He used to stand. And he wouldn't eat that day, because as soon as he was done, he would go to the oil, and whenever he went to the oil, he would fast, just drink water or something, or coffee. So he was standing for hours, he was 89, <laughs> fasting. And they asked the Rebbe, why don't you sit? You can accomplish the same thing. Get your comfortable chair. Sit down. Everyone can pass by. You can give them a dollar. The Rebbe says, are you kidding me? A child of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, or Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah standing in front of me and I should sit. The Rebbe was in awe of a Jew. It didn't matter if the Jew was a billionaire or if the Jew was a plumber or a tailor or a child. This is a child of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. the Rebbe was in such awe of a Yid, of a Jew. That, you know that he, he stood up. He stood up in awe. <laughs> so, the respect and the awe and the reverence that we had over the Rebbe was nothing in comparison to the respect and the love and the reverence that the Rebbe had for each and every child of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Sir. So love is a two-way street. It's mutual. You know, it's, it's, it's reciprocal. The heart is like a mirror. And that's the connection. It's the only way to connect. If there's no love, there's no connection. So those who had a love relationship with the Rebbe, was a, and that's the soul relationship, a soul connection, and even the Rebbe passed away. But that relationship remains. That bond remains love transcends time and space. You can have two people in the same room next to each other and they might as well be, they're as distant as from here to Mars. They turn their back to each other, they can't stand each other. I mean, you can have two best friends, two loved ones. One is here and one is in Australia. They're so close, they feel each other, they sense each other. Love transcends time and space. So just because the Rebbe is not physically here, if there's a love, there's a relationship, a connection, that love, that love is as strong as ever. It doesn't doesn't change. So, so then, the Rebbe's life could continue to inspire you. His spirit, his inner life, can continue, continues to live on in you, in the Hasidim, continues to live on you. So he leaves you life He leaves you a piece of himself, his true self, not his body, his spirit. That is his true self. That always was his true self. Even when he was alive physically, he was all about the spirit, not the physical. And that spirit is stronger than ever. Now that he passed away, it's stronger than ever. And that spirit flows in you, continues to live in you, and continues to grow in you, and it's active and is alive and continues to inspire you. So the Rebbe is still with you is very much alive. Where it matters, where it counts. Inside of you. It's not cut off, dead, over.
7: For any man who eagerly desires life and who seeks to cleave to the living God through his service, an example through the divine service of the Savi, his soul will cleave and will be bound up in the bond of life with God. And the life of the rock, literally the life giving breath of our nostrils this then is the meaning of the statement and the sacred zohar that when a tzaddik departs he is to be found in all the world more than during his lifetime of which we have said in its protective shadow we shall live among the nations
1: it says in the uh, eicha that the tzaddik the leader talking about Yoshio, it was the last hope, the Jewish hope before the destruction of the temple. It was like the last tzaddik, when he died at a very young age and was killed, it was over, you know, they felt, okay, now we're doomed for destruction. And he said, we hope that in his protective shadow, we shall live among the nations, because when you're living with such challenges, when you're confronted with such challenges, with darkness, you need, the tzaddik is like your pillar of light, your tzaddik, you hold on to the tzaddik, and the strength of the tzaddik inspires us to be able to overcome all our challenges. So when the tzaddik passes away, it's like a shock to the system. It's like, you know, this is my leader. Imagine you're in war, and your leader is, is, uh, dies in war, and the army is completely demoralized. Well, who's going to lead us, and who's going to, you know, you're like lost. Who's the leader inspired, and when he and he's, he falls in battle, it's, uh, you know, he was going to protect us and his strength and his... Um, so this great tzaddik, and he passed away, he died in battle, but nevertheless, he still leaves within us, he still leaves within us the spirit, the life-giving breath. This leads to
7: the higher of the tzaddik, the soul level which is even loftier than the soul level called Neshama and which infuses the followers of the Sadiq with a transcendent mode of life force which enables them to withstand challenges from non-Jewish,
1: to and So there's Ruach, there's Nefesh, there's Ruach, there's Neshama, and then there's Chaya, life force. This is even greater, even the Neshama. And this is what gives us the strength to overcome all the challenges, the darkness, all the tests. So you need even, even a stronger you need a stronger um, dose, which comes from the deeper level of the tzaddik, the chaya.
7: This he left unto us, in each and every individual, corresponding to the degree of his genuine bond with the tzaddik and his true and pure love of him, from the innermost core of man and from the depths of his heart. To the extent of each individual's bond with the tzaddik, so does the tzaddik share with him his ruach and his faith, fear, and love of God. For as in water, face, answers to face, so is the heart of man to man. The individual's love of the sadiq reflects back to him, eliciting the love of the sadiq for him.
1: So King Solomon says that the heart is like a mirror. Just like a mirror can't help but reflect, reflect you back, whatever. The heart can't help but respond. And you can try it. It's a good experiment. Try developing a love for someone the other person won't be able to help themselves but to love you back in return. <laughs> because the heart reciprocates. It's just, it's just the nature of... It's like a mirror. You can't help it. If you love someone, the other person will love you back. It, it's interactive. It's a two-way street. So if you love Hashem, Hashem loves you back. If you love the tzaddik, the tzaddik loves you in return. It, it's, it's simple. It's very real is a beautiful story, one of the Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. used to come to the Rebbe of Simcha Torah, or Sukkot. And the once he wasn't feeling well, so he stayed home. And he was sitting in the sukkah, and while he was sitting in the sukkah, he says, Oi, ai, Rebbe. He started, you know, mentioning the Rebbe. Later on, when the Hasidim returned home to the town, he said, you know, We were sitting in the sukkah, and the Rebbe suddenly mentioned your name. (laughs) And they told him when it happened. It was exactly that time that he said, "I Rebbe." He felt it because you know when you're in love, you feel. You can feel things. It transcends time, space. God forbid, if anything bad happens, people, if something happens to your loved one, you you feel it. You know, you don't even know what happened, but you just you feel something is your loved one is in danger. it's a spiritual connection. It's a live connection. It's a, it's a it's a two-way street, you know. So if you relate, if you connect it to the Rebbe, the Rebbe is connected with you. You know, it's it's, it's a love. This is this is uh, this is, this is what creates the ban, And then and then he says,
5: Spirit rouses spirit and brings forth spirit. The spirit of love that one has for the tzaddik draws down the ruach, the superior spirit of the tzaddik.
1: So when you love the tzaddik and continue to love the tzaddik, even when he passed away, but you love him, then the ruach of the tzaddik responds. The soul of the tzaddik responds. And his d- energy and his ruach and his spirit loves you in return and, and his spirit adds to your spirit. His spirit lives on in you.
5: For his ruach remains truly in our midst within those of us who are bound to Him, When He sees His children, i.e., His disciples, who embody the work of His hands, sanctifying God's blessed name. For His name is magnified and sanctified when we walk in a straight path, in one with His path that He has shown us.
1: When we follow in His footsteps and we take His teachings to heart and uh, we're inspired by His example, then He's so proud, you know. This is the ultimate uh, vindication of all of his efforts and his whole life because a Jewish leader is basically a soul that's perfect. It, 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 It didn't come down into this world for itself. It came down into this world. God took the souls that are perfect on their own and turned them into leaders. So they're here to inspire others so his whole soul's mission his whole life's purpose was to be an inspiration so when it succeeds and his students are following in his footsteps and are taking it to heart and care and are engaged and involved and they also have a love relationship with Hashem and you know you're you're vindicating his whole life's mission his whole purpose of existence of creation so you get so much nacha so much so much pleasure it's
4: And we will walk in his ways forevermore. With regard to the above sentence, the Rebbe Shalita notes that the Zohar distinguishes between a path, Dereh, and a way, Orach.
1: Because first he says, Nelech B'derech Yishara, we'll go in his way. And then he says, we will go in his path.
4: Path signifies a well-trodden track which the Tzaddik has cleared for common use, while way suggests a trail that is presently being blazed according to the spiritual needs of the individual's divine service. The Rebbe Shalita refers the reader to Lekitei Torah, Shir The reason that the Alter Rebbe characterizes that Tzaddik's life is consisting of faith, fear, and love is that faith is the underpinning, the loins that support the entire body of a man's divine service. And this finds expression in his fear and love of God, His arms.
1: So the faith is the foundation and the, um, the support and the underpinning and the faith and the love and the awe is an expression. So we follow in the tzaddik's path that he paid for us, the highway that he paid for us, and then also his trails. Every tzaddik creates a new path and is a trailblazer and develops, develops it further, you know. It's creative and uh, creates new ways of expressing our service to Hashem. So we're following the tzaddik, we're following not only his, uh, his path, we're following his ways. So when we follow in his ways and we are connected to the tzaddik, his spirit and his soul and spirit continue to live in us, and continue to inspire us. So in that sense, literally, the tzaddik leaves his life to the living. He's leaving a piece of himself because he is his life. He is, that's his life, the soul, the spirit. And that soul and spirit continues to live. Doesn't die, doesn't end. Continues to live and affect us, live in us. Continues to inspire us and continues. So the more connected we are to the tzaddik, the deeper the love, the more mature mature the love, the more the spirit of the tzaddik works in us. And, and inspires us and connects us. So, and next time he's going to explain that the tzaddik is actually more alive after he passes away, more effective and more alive, because his spirit is only stronger and more amplified than he is while he's alive. So not only does he leave us a piece of his life, his life doesn't die. But in the contrary, that life only grows within us and is more effective and more impactful and so it's completely counterintuitive you know instead of you know we look at death as it's over it's final it's finished the end of an era it was good that we had the Rebbe while we had him it's a deep cut it's a severance he says no nothing could be further than the truth there's no severance there's no cut it's not the end the tzaddik continues to live, his soul continues to live, his effect on us continues and only grows. He leaves us his life, life went nowhere. His life was his faith and his love and the awe of Hashem, his relationship to Hashem. That continues to live and that continues to live and inspire us. So we have the tzaddik, we have his soul, we have his spirit. That is the tzaddik. Who is the tzaddik? It's physical. His soul is spirit, so his spirit is very much alive and active and vibrant. Now, for us physical beings, it's very difficult, you know, because we are physical and that's our arena and that's what we respond to. So, this is something that you really have to meditate on and reflect on shifts your whole understanding of what is life and what is, who is really alive and what is life. And, and that life doesn't die. That life continues.
2: But what about the generation that came after him that never experienced? Okay. How they
1: okay, very good. It's, we're we're going to get to that. A couple of books
0: over
1: <laughs> we're going to get to that. It's, the truth is, it's not the same. Someone who knew him and had a relationship with him, it's not the same. But even someone who never knew him, by studying his works and by being inspired by his teachings, you can also become a chassiz. Um Don't forget, in the, in the past, the passing of each Rebbe, there was immediately another Rebbe in the wings. Who became the next rebbe? So, in a sense, the rebbe's life continued even physically, because his soul, like, transferred to his deci- to his ear. It was the same soul and carried on and and went and grew even and advanced. So, you always had the physical. Ultimately, they always had the physical. And many Hasidic groups at the burial they would anoint the next Rebbe. That there shouldn't even be a split second that they don't have a Rebbe and a leader. Either it was the son or his greatest disciple, whoever it was, the Hasidim decided, and they coronated him. as That it continued. There's no interruption, there's no death, there's no, we're... we're so, the, like, as if the Rebbe's soul was just transferred to a different body, and now it's continuing in a different... Uh, and, and and continue to grow and continue to um, but this letter is very relevant to our generation because for the first time in history <laughs> there is no other Rebbe. We're not looking for another Rebbe. You know, so when you can't see the Rebbe physically, it's this never happened before in Jewish history. From the times of Avinu, from the times of Abraham, from the times of Adam. You never had a moment in history, let alone in Jewish history, where the tzaddik, the pillar of the world, the foundation of the world, the ultimate giant, spiritual giant, and righteous person, who's really the spiritual foundation of the whole of the world, that you can't see him physically. You know, the Rebbe's passing 22 years ago it was something that never happened before in Jewish history, that the, the, the tzaddik of the generation, the pillar, you can't see physically. And that's something that we can't get used to it and we don't want to get used to it, and it's something that's unnatural. So
3: didn't he leave the light his life, just like oh, in our reading? Right,
1: exactly. So this letter is very, very relevant and powerful, especially for us. Mm-hmm. Because the other Hasidim, yes, they were mourning the passing of their Rebbe, but there was always another Rebbe in the wing, uh, immediately to take over yeah, is, and to, that was physical, so it was much easier. Yes. It was much easier. As difficult as it was to lose the Rebbe, because he was like your father and your spiritual, and there was such a love. You know, the Hasidim were devastated when the Rebbe passed away. It was, it was like losing a mother and a father all combined. It was like, it was like, God forbid, it was like so devastating. But there was another Rebbe right there in the wings, and they became Hasidim of the next Rebbe because they, they realized it's a continuation. It's not. It's not, nothing died. It's, 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 godliness is alive. You know, truth is alive. Judaism is alive. Torah is alive. It's, it just transferred to a different rebbe. It's the same soul that's alive and it's continuing and carrying on and going even stronger. So the Hasidim became the Alter Rebbe himself had three rebbe's. This letter is written about Rabbi Nachman Leib. who was his third rebbe. First, he had Rabbi Dovber, the was rich. So you can imagine how he felt when he passed away. Then he became a chassid of his former learning partner, Rabbi Dovber's son. He had one son, one child, Avram the angel. He became his chassid. He wrote, we have the letter where he devotes himself. I'm your chassid, and I'm giving over my soul, my nefesh, my ruach, my neshama. My, I'm giving it over to you, and you're my rebbe, and you're my teacher. It was, it was, it was a very deep spiritual relationship and connection. For, it was for real. And then he passed away shortly thereafter. And then he came as a Rebbe. So this was the third Rebbe that he lost. I think mean, you imagine going through three traumatic, for the Chassid, it's so traumatic to lose a Rebbe. So the other Rebbe had to write one letter and then he wrote a, an explanation because with all the explanations in the world, you can't substitute for the physical loss you know, at, the, at the end of the day. In most cases, there was a rebbe. The alter rebbe became the rebbe. So the alter rebbe was crying for his loss, but the Hasidim, they had a rebbe. <laughs> you know, you know, they cried. But then, at the end of the day, they—they they, very quickly they, the loyalty and the love—and they continued to live. But this letter, you're right. This letter is so relevant for our generation because we really have to deal with this. Right. <laughs> we, the Alter Rebbe had to deal with this because his Rebbe passed away. He became the Rebbe, but his Rebbe passed away. But the Chassidim had Alter Rebbe, so, so they were okay. <laughs> but we are in the same position, the same boat as Alter Rebbe. Because we because can't see the Tzaddik physically. So how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with it? So this letter is so relevant to us more more than anyone else.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.